everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Bottom Up Revolution. I'm your host, Tiffany Owens Reed. Today I'm joined by Shelby Wild Brown. She's a mom, a lifelong gardener, and executive director of Route One Farmers Market in her hometown of Lompoc, California, which she started in 2018 after her neighborhood farmers market closed. As both a traditional farmer's market and a nonprofit, Shelby's goal is to increase access and break down barriers to local food in California's Lompoc Valley. The market runs every Sunday and is currently the sole market for 50 miles of the central coast of California that offers customers both EBT and market match. Shelby and her team strive to make the market a place that brings together the diverse communities that call Lompoc home. At the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, Shelby led her market to be the first in the area to offer a produce bag for curbside contactless pickup for all customers, distributing hundreds of bags of local food to those under shelter-in-place restrictions. Last year, they launched the first ever mobile market, uh, mobile farmers market in Santa Barbara County. And just recently, Shelby was honored as Woman of the Year uh, by her local chamber of commerce at their annual awards banquet. Shelby, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. I uh, I felt very nervous about saying the name of your city. I realized <laughs> I'm kind of insecure about pronouncing it. That's okay. It is actually Lompoc, but Lompoc. Okay. A, See, I should have put it in my notes as Lompoc, and then that's so. Anyone I, who doesn't live here doesn't know that. So I apologize. It's totally <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to talk with you. I thought we could um, start off with some fun questions, and partly I'm going to live vicariously through because I attempted to garden this year and it lasted maybe like a day and a half of me weeding and it didn't go much further. So you love to garden. You're more successful than me. What are you, what are you planting this year? What have you planted? What are you growing now? What are you excited about? Well, weeding's not the fun part. I agree with that for sure, (laughs) but I focus mostly on native plants because that's my home is sort of my passion and um, doing things that are the most ecologically responsible feels like the right move. So um, I love getting native plants to thrive in my old yard that's going on, what, set almost 70 years old in this neighborhood and um, doing things slightly different than, than my neighbors. But just seeing the native wildlife come to life and, and the bees come around, like that's what really brings me joy. So do you have one of those cool front yards that's like totally different from everyone else's? I mean, I think it's cool, but my neighbors with lawns probably don't agree. (laughs) I love that. That uh, There's a a house not far from um, where I live here in Waco. And every spring, they I guess they figured out how to plant like a wildflower hedge or something. I don't know how they pulled it off, but they basically use part of their front yard as a wildflower field. I'm a major fan. I love yes. wildflowers. I it's, I would be a fan if everyone planted wildflowers. Same. Everywhere. I love that no mo may movement and all of the, you know, anything that's getting our pollinators fed is so important. Are you planting anything for food? Did you, did you plant anything for food? I have year? a lot of herbs. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty lucky in having access to, to the veggies. So okay. um, I focus on the, the, Herbs and natives and flowers and grapes. I have some grapes and some fruit oh, trees. That's but so yeah. fun. What's yeah, your favorite yeah. herb? Oh my gosh. I mean, basil this time of year. Okay. It's definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but sage. Yeah. They're all good. I mean, I'm low key obsessed with dill. Oh my gosh. Dill's amazing. Yes. What is it about dill? Something magical. Yes. 
It really is. Yeah. So I'm going to be brave and I'm actually going to say the name of your city. So you live, yes. you live in a small city in California called Lompoc, if I yes. said it right, which I, yes. I suspect most people haven't heard of. Yeah. Um, and you've, you've lived there all your life. Can you tell us a little bit about your city? What makes it unique? What do you love? What's it, what's it like? Yeah. Living in your hometown. I feel like we have a good mix on the show now of people who have moved to other cities, but also some people who have just really stayed, stayed put in the community that they're from. Tell us about your city. I'd be happy to. I mean, I love Lompoc. It's it's a unique little town. It's right on Point Conception. So if you look look at a map of Lompoc and I mean of California and it sticks out a little bit, we're right on that pointy end. Um, so it's where Vandenberg Space Force Base is located. And we're centrally located. It's a two-hour drive to LA and a five-hour drive to San Francisco. So mountains nearby, ocean 10 miles away. You know, we're really, really lucky. We have amazing resources all around us. And it's a beautiful agricultural-based town. Mm -hmm. We were the location where uh, the shuttle was going to be launched from on the West Coast before the Challenger disaster. And that affected our growth a lot. Yeah, it's it's just a it's a wonderful little quirky unique town. I love it. What would you say are some of the challenges right now in your city? You know, we have a diverse population, so sometimes that doesn't it's it's not always easy to, you know, kind of get everybody on the same page or feel like we're really effectively communicating throughout. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that is a challenge. There's always, you know, these barriers to communicating with everyone effectively. We've had some, you know, halt of growth. And then uh, we're one of the newer places that has embraced cannabis open-armed. And so there's a lot Mm. of interesting new development that that brings people that love it, people that don't love it, you know, so there's, there's a lot going on. So there's a lot to kind of navigate. I feel like this is like an interesting backdrop to the farmer's market seeing it as a place where all different kinds of people can come together in sort of a third space, uh, which we'll talk about in a bit. But before we jump into that, can you just tell us about your journey uh, kind of with the whole gardening world um, and how you came to run a farmer's market? Sure. It wasn't exactly a straight line. I don't think I've always been fascinated with the natural world and growing plants. I mean, I was a teenager spending money on or spending allowance on plants, which I don't think, you know, to plant in the ground, which I don't think is, I don't know, none of my friends were doing that. So it's just something that's been with me my whole life. And I tend to work best when I'm around something I'm passionate about. So I've worked in schools and did a term in AmeriCorps, wanting, thinking I wanted to go into education. And then I had my daughters and I stayed home with them for uh, until they were in preschool. And right around the time my youngest was starting preschool, this job opportunity came up to be a garden educator. That was not even a job that I knew existed when I was in high school. So nothing I thought (laughs) I considered even a career path because I didn't know it was possible. And I got to do that for seven years and loved it. I still think that that playing in the dirt with kids is one of the best jobs you can have and um, started working closely with a farmer's market in my neighborhood that was supporting education in that area. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's kind of what got me into the farmer's market 
sector and that fits perfectly with my passions with food and plants and all of those sorts of things. So it was a natural sort of progression, but round, a round one, I think. (laughs) So you were working at one farmer's market and tell me if I have this correct. Um, Mm -hmm. You were were working with one and then that one closed, I believe in 2018, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was working just kind of as a volunteer and supporting them doing outreach with kids because that Mm -hmm. was my wheelhouse. Okay. Yeah. It was a great little place. It, it did a good job while it was there. The community liked it. And um, I actually started contracting with a partner to support the farmer's markets that we had then to um, expand food access with EBT and Market Match. Mm-hmm. And so I started contracting and working more with a concerted effort towards the support of markets in by 2018. And then that one just closed for internal reasons. Can you flesh out for me a little bit about the um, the food access situation mm-hmm. like in your city? I feel like for someone like me who I'm not really super involved in the food supply, local food supply conversation. Yeah. Can you just clarify how like a city that is an agricultural hub could have issues accessing <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah it doesn't sound I don't like know, there's should. like a personal I, I know when we talked before like this is something that you were noticing too with like wanting to shop more local for your family and then realizing like wait what why is this yes. so difficult <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it shouldn't be right it, it doesn't really make sense and people are usually surprised to hear that but yeah I read um a couple of books you know staying home with my kids animal vegetable miracle was a big one by Barbara mm-hmm. King Solver she takes a pretty deep dive into what local means and why it matters to us and our planet and got me very motivated to shop local. And I found that the closest CSA community supported agriculture was 50 miles away. So like, according to Barbara, that's not even local. So that Mm -hmm. was eye opening. We're surrounded by ag lands that uh, raise cattle too, and you couldn't buy locally raised or farmed beef digging into that more and just trying to figure out why that was and how we got to that point in mm-hmm. being surrounded by ag and not being able to buy it was pretty interesting. And it's it's really just comes down to the way the system has evolved into supporting, you know, big grocery stores and, and big ag. Hmm. So is it is it that what's being produced has to be shipped out to is it just that there are other clients that they're servicing or is it what's playing into that? Yeah. A lot of things, most of it is that the larger growers want larger contracts, right? So Mm -hmm. they're only going after those bigger grocery store contracts. Smaller growers can't get those big contracts. So they're in this precarious position of wanting to grow, but potentially not being able to sell it because they can't get those contracts. And if you don't Mm -hmm. have other platforms for local sales, then you're faced with the question of like, how are they going to be sustained and keep growing? Right. So that's part of it. And, um, it's just the system as it is. I mean, in Santa Barbara County, we're usually in the top 15 or 16 in production for the whole state. We did have the numbers, but we did something like almost $2 billion in ag production in our, just in our County. It, last year, it's a huge amount of food is being grown. But when you go to some of these bigger farmers and you ask where I can buy your strawberries or where can I buy your broccoli, I've literally been told by a farmer, our broccoli goes to Japan and our strawberries, we're the top strawberry producer for Indiana. Wow. And I can't buy them locally. Wow. I was so, at his farm. 
This is really helpful because when I hear the phrase like improving access to local food, I mostly think about the consumer side, but it sounds like what you're saying is like, that's important, but the other side to the access issue is also providing access for smaller farmers who want to sell to the local community and actually providing that platform for them to do so. Yes, you're exactly right. That's why that our mission is equally to support the farmers and their ability to access the community and the community's ability to access them. So those mm-hmm. in-between spaces that um, don't tend to exist locally for us are really what's needed because the farmers are doing amazing things and the community wants to buy it. But there were there are still a few places where those two things are possible. So I wanted to ask you more about the market, but I also kind of want to ask sort of like a dumb question, but can you, um, I just, can you make the case for shopping local or for like local yeah, food supply? Because I, I want to be convinced. I'm not unconvinced. I just, from everything you've researched and everything you've learned, if you had to give your elevator speech on why this is something that we should, we should care about or, or be curious about at the very least. Definitely. I mean, it hits all sectors really of being a responsible consumer and the options, you know, what you're able to affect when you buy local versus otherwise, right? So shopping at a farmer's market, which is my wheelhouse, so what I can speak to specifically, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. often the food is harvested within a day before it gets to market. So when you want to speak on a nutritional level, it's harvested at the peak of the season. It's not processed at all. It's barely transported any kind of distance and you're eating it within a day or two of it being harvested, which is at its highest nutritional content. Mm. So that, and it's fresh, so it tastes better. So it's often easier to get people to integrate that kind of food in their diet more often because it's actually delicious. It's not this stuff that you buy at a grocery store that's potentially been in a box on a truck for who knows how long and treated to to look red, but not really tastes good or, you know, all those Mm -hmm. things. So you talk about that being not having traveled hardly any distance at all. At our market, we only have one vendor that travels farther than 35 miles from Mm -hmm. our location. So the impact that that has, or that that saves on the, the environment and the impact of shipping it's minimal to none. I mean, we have farmers that drive five miles to us, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's ecologically sound. When you spend money at a farmer's market, you are literally putting your dollars in the hands of the farmers. So your money is staying within your local economy versus going to, you know, a corporation or a big box store. And you often get to see the people that grow the food. So you get to make this community connection. And if you aren't familiar with something, they will very passionately tell you about the vegetables because they're so proud of them because they grew them themselves. And so, I mean, it's just a full circle, I feel best choice for not only feeding your body, but supporting your local economy and ecology and community. It also sounds like there's like the potential for a relationship there, you know, yes. like uh, I worked at, I worked at our farmer's market here in Waco for about a year. I was um, helping a neighbor who makes baby and hair accessories. So I wasn't really on like the food side, but I kind of got to know the the meat vendors next to us, just the potential for getting to know the farmers, but also getting to like observe just a whole rhythm of 
I guess a rhythm of life around food because some like just the whole seasonal aspect always gets me with like everyone gets so amped when the peach table shows up right it's it's like ah it's time for peaches right but yeah then the stories it's just so complex because it's a person and then then it's the food that they grow but then there are all the stories like for instance the farmer the meat farmer that worked next to me at the farmer's market one day they showed up with a baby lamb that they called wild thing and they had to nurse her. So they had to bring her with them to the farmer's market and she was bleeding the whole time and everyone wanted to come say hi, but there's just like, there's so much about their world and their process that you get to like learn a little bit about rather than just like running to the meat aisle in the grocery store and grabbing whatever's on sale and scanning and running out, you know, it's just, it's like, it introduces you to a whole world, not just to a product. It does. It so does. It's as close as you can get to your food system outside of, you know, growing it in your backyard. You can't Mm -hmm. really get any closer. Um, And it is, it's a community. I personally get really excited when um, English shelling peas show up in the spring. I don't know (laughs) what it is, but there, I like it, it, for me, it's a a hallmark that spring is coming and not that we have very extreme seasons here on the coast of California, but the, it's the little things, right? <laughs> so, right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we, we do, when you tap into what it actually takes to grow the food we eat and how much work goes into running a farm and harvesting and doing markets. I have a vendor that does seven markets a week in six days. She has wow. one day off. She works harder than almost anybody I know. And she's, if, if we didn't support her in her sales, you know, she wouldn't be able to do it. And she's doing such amazing, important work and growing beautiful, beautiful things. So yeah, you can't really get any more connected. And I think I would argue maybe you are more connected and if you're growing it yourself because you have a community around it Mm -hmm. and community at all levels happens at the market. I mean, we have neighbors shopping and people passionate about their food, you know, connecting. And we always try to have education and recipes and things, ideas um, around what's growing. And it's just a constant conversation and enthusiasm for food. And a big takeaway of that is that we're all being enthusiastic about doing something that's good for us and it's feeding us and it's good for our, our environment. And it's, you know, so like there's, there's just so many layers to why I believe it's really important to support. So tell me more about the market. What makes Route One Farmers Market unique? Well, I think we've really tried to go in with a lot of intention to being for everyone. Mm-hmm. And we have partners that have done research and we've done some of our own research that shows that there's a stigma around people believing that farmers markets are for everyone. They believe that they might be for a certain crowd, but not for them. They might not be accessible for lots of reasons. And some of them are really accurate. You know, we are open limited time and stuff like that, but what we can bring is that community and that connection piece. So we do things like we have the first CalFresh navigator in our town, in our County really that, is there specifically to represent the market, to outreach to customers, to greet them in English or Spanish, um, to help them literally navigate the market, to help them use their incentives if they have EBT or WIC, 
Um, so we try to be very, very inviting. We recognize that accessibility can only go so far if you're not meeting people in the language they speak or at the skills they come with. So we try to offer a lot of education around what's in season, why it's important, you know, so just coming with that focus of both supporting the farmers and the community, like I said, is our mission. So that's what makes us us. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know that partnerships are a big part of how you approach your work too. Can you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So we, we are born of partnerships in our town. We, the focus to, to support farmers markets in Lompoc came from our partners at the Lompoc Valley Community Healthcare Organization and they're running a heel cabinet. So Lompoc is a heel city. So Lompoc um, has adopted the focus of considering healthy eating and active living in all mm-hmm. aspects. So there was a cabinet around like, what does that mean? How do we guide that? What do we see? What do we think we need? And the need to support the farmers markets we had at the time to be more accessible was born out of that cabinet and a grant from that the LVCHO received from our Santa Barbara Foundation actually hired me to start looking into that work. So we literally would not be here without them. And then through all of the work it took to get to where we are having the Healthy Lompoc Coalition that's also run by LVCHO, it's a coalition of partnerships in healthy living and community services and nonprofits and healthcare and um, having those connections and being able to lean on partnerships has really been able to give us the foundation we needed to, to grow. I think that's just really important to think about just the role that part, just like partnership as a, as an approach or as a, as an attitude for anything that anyone is trying to do to make their city better. Right. I think that's just such a good reminder to like consider the power of partnering rather than yes. with just other neighbors, whether that's with nonprofits, rather that's with churches or even with like folks who work in city government, just considering like what could partnership look like um, and, and could we go further with partnerships? And of course, there'll be some some situations where you might have to not necessarily go it alone, but just like you know, keep moving forward and, and and the partnerships might might evolve later. But I think there can maybe be a tendency, at least maybe I'll speak for myself, to forget that like, oh, I don't have to do it all on my own. Mm-hmm. Like I might notice this thing, but I might not be the one to necessarily be at the front lines of solving it. Maybe there's someone else already working on this problem. Maybe there's someone else who has better skills than me or more connections. And maybe maybe one way of thinking about it is not that I have to solve it, but maybe I have to find other people who care about it and maybe maybe there could be a partnership and we could solve it together. Definitely. I so agree with that. I mean, we didn't get here alone by, or by my work alone. You know, we are only here because of our partnerships and I would encourage people in those roles in, in maybe more traditional settings too, like in healthcare or um, Mm -hmm. County, you know, public health, those kinds of things. You can't necessarily go out and start a farmer's market, but maybe you can reach out and support some programming at one. You know, you can't necessarily start a mobile farmer's market, but you can partner with one on a grant to help them get some funds to, you know, to to mutually benefit both of your goals. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of kind of strategic organizing that our partners have really brought to us that have helped us get where we are. Yeah. 
is very different from sort of the siloed approach that I think has dominated the way cities work for so long. It's a good challenge to rethink that, to think like, how could we, partnering is risky though, (laughs) because you might have to compromise. You might have to negotiate. You might have to work with people who are super annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that does, it it does open the door to things, you know, but it's an opportunity. It's, that if you have the capacity to navigate, it can be so beneficial. One of the things that you all emphasize is being EBT and market mm-hmm. match accessible. For folks who might not know what that means or why that is important, could you explain that a little bit? Like how sure. does that how does that fit into your mission? How does that help you serve your community even better? Yeah, definitely. So EBT, for those who aren't familiar, stands for Electronic Benefits Transfer. And it's the program that used to be called Food Stamps. It's a government incentive that um, supports lower income individuals and families in their purchase of food. And Market Match is an additional USDA funded program that doubles their dollars at Mm -hmm. only at farmers markets. So it's a special little extra boost that we get to give us something we can offer that Walmart can't. Outside of all the wonderful things I already said about farmers markets, but you know, Walmart as a one-stop shop, you know, they're slightly more powerful than we are than the, us little guys, right? So just a little bit, just a tad, <laughs> just a bit. Emphasis we on slightly. <laughs> yes, we're not delusional. I mean, so for example, Walmart does capture over a quarter, so over twenty-five percent of SNAP dollars annually across the country. And with their budget being in the hundreds of millions, you can, somebody can do that math. To figure, that's a lot of money that they are directly getting from government incentives being spent at their stores. That's how they fit into the game sort of. And the national budget for, to, to support EBT or SNAP, it's sometimes called SNAP. It depends on your state. For us, it's CalFresh. I don't mm-hmm. know what it, you know, it's, it's state to state. It's also called SNAP, which stands for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Um, so that budget is over a hundred billion nationwide. Yeah. So a lot of funds go towards this. And what I think is the exciting part is it's able to be spent at farmers markets, which for us in our mission to support farmers and the customers that means we can help facilitate those government funds being, you know, going into those farmers' pockets. Like I said before, mm-hmm. that those dollars, instead of going to Walmart and back to the corporation, mm-hmm. are staying locally. So it's a huge benefit to the local economy and our farmers. And then you talk about our lower income families. We're talking about food access, right? Like giving them the ability to purchase local food and then offer market match which can be for us right now, it's a $15 match. So if they've spent $15 on their EBT card, we actually double that $15 and they get 30 to spend. And we can do that every week. So Thanks it for explaining their, that. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't really understand the behind the scenes working yes. workings of SNAP dollars and EBT and all of that. So it's really helpful to understand the role that those funds can play in your local economy. I never had put that together. Speaking of access uh, and improving Mm -hmm. access, I know you all just started a mobile market. Can you tell me the inspiration behind that? And how does that fit within your overall mission? Yeah. So the truck is really about that access piece as well. So we know, obviously, I'm a fan of farmer's markets and all they entail. 
but they are limited in their ability to get to everyone, right? It's usually once a week. So we operate our traditional market one day a week, four hours that day. You know, not everyone can work there. Not everyone is off of work on that day. You know, so there's a lot of conflicts to attending a farmer's market, even if you have all the best intentions to go, right? Oh, also to that end, farmers are pretty maxed out. Like I mentioned, it is mm-hmm. before that goes to seven markets a week. Like they can't take on much more. Um, so for us, the next solution was not to open another market that requires our farmers to attend and potentially give a whole day's work, but to launch this truck that basically kind of does it for them. So we source from them, we load up our truck and we drive it around town and we park mm-hmm. it at places Um, some of our partners, locations, public health, the hospital, things like that. Mm -hmm. And we sell the exact same food. We take EBT and we offer 50% discount through market match. So it takes that food out into the community where they're not able to access it otherwise and gets it in front of people um, that just perhaps need a little bit more support getting to it. How would you describe sort of the relationship between local food supply, farmer's markets and all of that. And just like the overall like health or resilience or strength of a city. Yeah. I think I put this in our list of questions. So that's a little bit on the spot, but for someone who's, who might be like, okay, farmer's markets are nice, but you know, we really should be working on parking minimums and improving housing supply. I think sometimes it can be maybe for strong towns folks, like we can focus more on those like really concrete, serious, like policy changes, or it might be easier to see the connection between improving affordable housing supply or challenging zoning laws or getting rid of parking minimums and how this could affect the overall strength or resilience of the city. Maybe that connection is a little bit harder to make with like farmers markets or improving food supply. So this is your chance to make that. (laughs) Well, I mean, I can speak to Lompoc in particular. We are hugely impacted by the infrastructure of our system in as far as what food is accessible to us. So um, there were mudslides south of us in Montecito in 2018 that blocked the major highway that feeds Mm. um, north into our area. And we had empty grocery shelves for days Mm. um, just because Los Angeles was blocked off, basically. And if there are not platforms where local food can be purchased, like you can't maintain that blockade very long or that lack of supply for very long before... Mm -hmm people are starting to struggle and foods, you know, everybody needs to eat. So it's pretty moderately important, <laughs> it's, kind of essential. <laughs> it's, a, it's up there on the list yeah. of needs. Um, so yeah, that you, you know, that's a very precarious position. And I think a lot of towns probably I'm assuming haven't been developed with that thought in mind. Um, we also have a river going, you know, to our two main access points to our town are um, old bridges. So if there were an issue with either of those, hmm. the supply chain would be cut off immediately. And if we didn't have an internal supply chain where locals could access local food, we would be in bigger trouble. Hmm. So that's, yeah, that's, that's really how helpful. I think I, I saw a little picture of that. Uh, my first winter here in Waco where we had like the crazy Texas blizzard And um, it was just insane in terms of how vulnerable the city felt in terms of like who could get where, because it was basically like, if you didn't have a car and we only have like what, we have like one major grocer here, it's a chain. And I am trying to count how many locations we have, like kind of within the city. I want to say probably three, there could be more, 
but they're not centrally located within neighborhoods, right? They're all places you have to drive to. So people were having to like put themselves on these super dangerous icy roads to get to the store and then things were selling out like crazy. So yeah, just that, that was, I think maybe I'm kind of revealing how saturated I am in a world where everything just always feels like it'll always be there. Right. And then you have these experiences where you're like, oh, wait a second. Mm -hmm. Like people used to have food in their backyard, not like a 10 minute drive away that was being shipped in from everywhere. So just kind of this whole framework of realizing, like, I think part of the resilience conversation should include food. Right. It is super essential. Yeah. Um, I mean, we saw that during the pandemic, right? With the lack of the how broken the the supply chain was. Yeah. if you aren't somewhere where it's being grown, that's a completely other issue, right? Mm-hmm. But also, if you think about the bigger system, I mean, in Santa Barbara County, 90, 95 plus percent of what's grown here is shipped out of our mm-hmm. county. Yeah, that's so crazy. So you think about the tax that that has on the overall system, like the, you know, how much gas is being used to go towards that, that could be alleviated and put towards solving other problems, yeah. you know, like that's yeah. a huge amount of money and resources spent on shipping food in and out of our County. And we can't be alone in that. So yeah, solving, solving an issue at this level to like maybe put more resources somewhere else could, could benefit everybody too. I also think of markets as sort of a proxy for like social resilience too, right. Kind yeah. of going back to like how markets can function as this third space where people can build loose ties and get to know, their neighbors get to know local business owners get to know local farmers i think there's something to really value there with sort of the social export from a farmer's market and the way that that can play in our overall sense of feeling connected and feeling like we can trust each other in the face of a crazy like crisis Uh, and i think that's something to value yes i agree farmers markets were um sales and attendance actually went up during the onset of the pandemic when everything else was being closed down because luckily in California, our governor came out and said that we were essential and could stay open and um, people felt safer outside and you could socially distance. But I mean, when we were doing curbside, I had a woman come up socially distance in tears because she hadn't left her house in weeks. And Mm -hmm. I was the first person she had seen. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very moving. And, you know, in this, there's concerns around, you know, how much time we spend on our devices and with our heads down and not connecting human to human. And Mm -hmm. you get that at the market. So, yeah. So I can imagine running a market is magical, but I also know it's a lot of hard work. What are some of the challenges you face and, and what keeps you motivated? The challenges lately have been more around launching the mobile market and Mm -hmm. um, getting that system set up and, and getting it sustainable being a new solution towards food access. Um, there just aren't systems in place to support it yet. Um, there's literally like you go to your County for a health permit and they don't have a health permit for a mobile market. So you fill out a health permit for a food truck and you are held to the same regulations as someone processing chicken, which Mm -hmm. we don't even cut our vegetables. So it's, it's a very different food safe situation. So there's a lot of, um, barriers to, just that like we're kind of coming up with a relatively out of the box solution, but they're we're still being held in by these systems that um don't really recognize us that way. So that's been that's been a challenge. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Sounds like an opportunity for some innovation (laughs) and definitely rethinking rules and ordinances and taking into account the costs that those can impose on entrepreneurs who are trying to help the city adjust and become more resilient for the long term. Definitely. There are a lot of um, fees that can feel very punitive on a small business or nonprofit that um, just towards development or construction or, you know, launching a business that are really holding us back. From a historical perspective, it's so interesting. I was talking to someone, for instance, like about, I think like, for instance, you you realize this when you're reading the history of zoning and how at one point in time, it's like, okay, I can kind of see where they got this rule from. But then it's just like, it's calcified, I think is the word I'm looking for. You know, it's just like, (laughs) it's just still there. And while the world around has changed so much, like and the needs and of the community have changed, but these old rules and regulations and fee schedules and meetings required, you know, they don't align with the reality of what is needed now or where the pressure points are or, or how the community has evolved. So yeah, it just seems like we need more of a evolutionary or agile attitude about regulations. Yes, in general, I would just in definitely how work. Yeah, I would agree with that because there's there's so many innovations being made and new ideas that could solve big problems. And obviously, the systems that the old policies are supporting aren't working, and that's why they need right. to change. So maybe the policy needs change too. Yeah. Um, well, I asked this question of everyone at the end of our podcast. It's probably one of my favorite favorite parts of the interview. But if someone was coming to spend a couple of hours or a day in your city, uh, which local spots or businesses would you recommend that we visit? Oh my gosh, farmers a- market, obviously. Well, yeah, I mean, if farmers. you're if you're here on a Sunday, please come by <laughs> and say hi. But we've such a beautiful region. Um, we are pretty famous for our wine in the Santa Rita Hills. So there's beautiful wine tasting rooms and vineyards. You can go soak up the sun and be in and just really enjoy the, the land. Um, we are the city of arts and flowers. So we actually have a whole mural society and many, many murals all over town and an art alley and a whole guided mural walk you could do. And a beautiful little gallery with local artists. Um, we have, if it's a Tuesday, we like to go to our Cold Coast Brewing Company for trivia night. That's a favorite that my team Very and I fun. like to do. We have a beautiful farm. One of our farm partners, Dare to Dream, you can Airbnb there and just literally soak up the land, stay there with your family. Um, there's a beach, Halama Beach is famous for surfing. There's trails. There's our La Prisma mission. I mean, it's just... I'm pretty passionate about my area, so I can go on. <laughs> <laughs> what about a favorite coffee shop? Do you have a favorite oh, coffee South, shop? Southside Coffee, for sure. Southside, Southside Coffee. coffee. Yep. Uh-huh. All right. Well, thank you so much, Shelby. I'm glad we were able to chat. It was great to hear your story and uh, yeah, just to hear more about what you're doing in, in Lompoc. Yes. So, perfect. There we go. Made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me. It was really, really great to connect. And to our audience, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution. Um, We'll put show notes, giving you more information about Route One Farmers Market, about Shelby Wild Brown, and um, some of the businesses uh, and destinations that she recommended. If there's someone who you think would make a great guest for our show, who's doing some awesome work in their community, please use the suggested guest form in the show notes to nominate them. 
um, that's actually how how we discovered Shelby. Um, so thanks to whoever nominated Shelby. We really appreciate it. And we'll, we'll be back in two weeks with another conversation. Mm-hmm.